If we were to go back in time to the scene of Jesus' baptism and stand beside Jesus and John and poll the congregation with this question, which one of these two guys is the wild one? John would have won in a landslide. On John's resume, his address is listed as wilderness. Other gospels describe him wearing camel hair, not the Brooks Brothers kind, and eating a strange diet consisting mostly of tree sap, which is called honey and probably in your translation, and locusts, which it was popular in seminary to say, no, that was the bean from the locust tree, probably not actual locusts. It really was actual locusts, uh, preferably fried <laughs> with a little salt. But that's probably not how John ate them. <laughs> What's more, John's sermons are wild. For years, he's been raising his voice around the countryside about everyone needing a life-changing, mind-changing baptism. Repent means change your mind. On one particular high attendance Sunday, and I don't know what he was thinking, he begins his sermon with the loving pastoral line, you brood of vipers. <laughs> then he goes off the rails, telling them they're not exceptional, and that if God wanted to, God could raise up a new church out of the stones at their feet. And he concludes with a comforting word about axes and chopping down trees as metaphors for people and something about a bonfire. But the congregation still loves this wild man so much they begin wondering if John's the Messiah. But John tells them, you think I'm wild? I'm just baptizing you with water, but someone's coming after me who's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And that's when I think not a few of John's congregation members thought of themselves, Lord have mercy, if this ain't fire, what is? You mean to tell me there's someone out there wilder than John? Then they see him. When everyone had been baptized and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the sky opens up. And out of whatever opening it was, in bodily form, the text says that the Holy Spirit flies out of this opening like a bat out of, um, like a dove out of heaven. And I'm guessing somehow fuses with Jesus and reveals him in, in a new way, anoints him as a sign to bystanders. I don't know what's happening. Uh, it's wild. And if that wasn't wild enough, then a voice from heaven comes saying, you are my son, the beloved. With you I'm well pleased. It's an epiphany of physical, spiritual, audible divinity, leaving no doubt who the wild one is. The one who will set the whole world on fire with the Holy Spirit. 
I didn't know there would be doves there. Now, I'd heard of dove releases at graveside services, but having never experienced one, I, would, I assumed it would be, a, you know, underwhelming and, and kind of sentimental and theologically suspect, kind of like a unity candle. <sighs> unity candles. <laughs> then I went to Louise Pfeiffer's funeral. And we stepped out of the church into the graveyard and the whole crowd was surrounding the coffin and beside the coffin a cage. And I, I've heard these dove releases are inhumane, but I didn't know that then, so it was cooler then. But when they opened that cage, the doves flew out. That was so fast, I didn't even see them fly out. But I... I saw these little shadows come right over my head and everybody else's head. And it was like the wave at a baseball game, except in reverse. Everyone's just kind of, whoa. And again and again until they got higher and higher. And then they joined in unison and flew off. It was wild. I wonder if the still soaking wet congregation witnessing the aftermath of Jesus' baptism was also full of people spellbound or terrified or both and, and ducking for cover. Because what I mean by wild here is untamed, undomesticated, or to put it another way, free. Here at Jesus' baptism, we're witnessing the revelation of the very first free human being who's come to baptize us with that same wild and free spirit. Now my title, my sermon title, recalls G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. And he claims the aim of Christianity is to establish a rule and order that gives room for good things to run wild. I, I sort of, well, not sort of, I'm convinced that that's a good title for the sermon and also for the year. So look, maybe that's our New Year's resolution. Because I'm thinking about by this time, many of us have given up on whatever resolution we had. Um, keep going if you haven't. It's good. But if you need one, here it is. Remember your baptism and its impetus for each one of us to let good things run wild. We may say Jesus' baptism establishes this new order, seeing the first sign of it and the spirits descending like a dove. Like a dove's untamed descent, the spirit takes hold of us in baptism to unleash free, undomesticated life in Christ. To be baptized is to be empowered to let good things run wild. Now the earliest Christians, I, I believe we can still learn so much from them because they were often wilder than us. You remember when they started on Pentecost? Remember what people thought? They, they thought people in the street, when they poured out of the house, after the, the spirit rushed into the house like, a, like the sound of a violent wind and lit all their hair on fire, they went out on the street and the, the bystanders thought they were drunk. 
And so Peter, in his first sermon, he starts out explaining they're not drunk. That's the birth of Christian preaching, friends. But they didn't have another word for what they were experiencing. They didn't know how to describe these people. They were so wild and free. They were undomesticated, untamed, and, and from there it just spread. And later in Acts, which is also written by Luke, they're accused of turning the world upside down. They're in front of, of governors and magistrates and all kinds of city officials, and they're, they're pulling their hair out over these wild Christians. They're untamed. They don't know what to do with them. And the movement grows. The way grows. Roman citizens eventually begin to call Christians atheists because they just wouldn't get in line with the, the state's deities. I suppose a kind of modern version of that would be Christians not singing the, the national anthem or not saying the Pledge of Allegiance. It would just strike people as weird or odd or offensive. Wild. Who are these people? What are we supposed to do with these people? They refuse to do things like own property or kill their enemies, or serve as magistrates. Because magistrates would have the authority to sentence people to death. Christians wouldn't do it. You're going to serve here. Nope, not, not going to do it. Some people even thought they were cannibals because they talked about eating flesh and drinking blood. And that gets really weird. But I think... It must have struck somebody, whoever a bystander was, seeing them take communion, where the guy's just standing there, not with flesh, but like Hawaiian bread and Welch's grape juice. Everybody calm down. But that's how strange we were. How wild and untamed and undomesticated and new and free. I believe the recent decades, and especially the last two years, have given congregations like ours a rare window of opportunity to rewild the church. To catch the wild spirit in new ways. To take what we've learned from the past and the grand history of a congregation like ours and reimagine it, reshape it, rewild it. To look up into the heavens and to be receptive to the unpredictable, adventurous life to which baptism saturates us. But first, and this is why I say the sermon title is like a, more like a bookend than a theme for this particular sermon. But first, if we would let good things run wild, we first must see Jesus in his wildness. And our recognition of the wildest of the one we seek will then determine the character of our discipleship. Yes, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I love this metaphor for Jesus. I grew up seeing Jesus, the good shepherd, in a, in a stained glass window from birth to graduation from high school every Sunday. Jesus, the good shepherd. I would imagine myself as the sheep draped over his shoulders. Yes, Jesus says, I have called you friends. Isn't that amazing that we could be friends with God? But yes, Jesus' baptism also reveals that he is not only shepherd, not only friend, but wild, untamed. Jesus breaks rules. 
he breaks one of the most crucial rules for his own people. He, he works on the Sabbath. He heals a person on the Sabbath. He's castigated for it. And he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Who does he think he is? Jesus is free. And we know that because he had no mortgage. <laughs> Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head free, if not homeless. Sometimes Jesus is even terrifying. He takes his disciples, his closest friends, up on that mountain and his face is transformed and they're so scared they can't speak. Flannery O'Connor and Wise Blood describes Hazel Motes, the Christ-haunted center, sinner, as seeing Jesus move from tree to tree in the back of his mind like a wild, ragged figure motioning him to turn around and come off into the dark where he might be walking on water and not know it and then suddenly know it and drown. As good a definition of baptism as I know. Now, imagine yourself as one of those baptized with him today. You're sitting there and your wet robe is clinging to you and you're just trying to get out of that and into a dry change of clothes when you see the heavens opened up. And something like a body fly out wild and free and descend on this one who is praying. You too have just been baptized. And now wouldn't you be wondering, is that same wild, untamed spirit coming for me next? Warning, dear friends. I believe the answer to that question is yes. Yes.